This is the e-commerce brain trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high-level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our brain trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Hello and welcome back to the e-commerce brain trust podcast. I'm your host Kiri Masters from Acadia and today I'm doing a, a recap of a mini series that we've done on this show the past few weeks doing a deep dive into retail media and I've spoken with five different e-commerce practitioners on the brand side about what retail media looks like within their organization from a org chart perspective, who owns it, who is hands-on keyboard within their company, is that marketing, sales, specific e-commerce team, uh, what kind of metrics do they track and how do they look at measuring success and what their outlook is for the space as well. And it was great to dig into this topic with people on the brand side who are actually overseeing this channel for their organizations, either working with agencies like Acadia or managing that in-house, leveraging software solutions, things like that. There are different approaches that are going to be suitable for different brands. And my intention really with this series is to replicate that sort of cocktail party conversation that I've been having the last year or so now that we've been back leading in real life. Um, And there's just a lot of interest from folks on the brand side around how does this look and work at other companies? What can I learn from them? Perhaps not all the time those structures and incentives and metrics are going to be suitable for your brand as well. And that's something that really came across as a theme in this conversation is that it looks a little bit different within each company. And that's because each company has different objectives different history, a different way of of working together, different expectations. Some are public companies, some are private equity backed, some are private. All of those things are going to shape how retail media is viewed, leveraged, and ultimately managed within a company. So I think the best thing for us to do is learn by speaking with others in similar positions and understanding what might be different about the way that they came to conclusions and how they do things because what is suitable for a large public company is not necessarily going to be suitable for a a privately held company um, with different objectives. So with all that said, um, there were some themes that I wanted to to recap um, just in a, in a quick little recap episode that we have here because there was a lot of ground that we covered and a lot of uh, a lot of the things that we talked about, you might say that those two people would would disagree on. And that is, as I said, because of the different contexts that they come from, different objectives at the companies that they work at. So first, sort of takeaway here is around org structure and what that looks like in these different companies. We had a mix, as I said, of public companies, private and a private equity backed company as, as well of different sort of ages and tenures in terms of company uh, maturity 
too. So it wasn't all that surprising to hear that who owned retail media within the company and who was ultimately accountable for performance there really varied from company to company. So within two of the five companies that I spoke with, Petmate and Totes, the accountability for retail media rested with the sales team or business development team. In at least three others, it sat with a specific digital team or an e-commerce team or a center of excellence for e-commerce and digital. And in one, it was um, it was organized within the marketing team. So this sort of just goes to show you that in terms of where retail media sits within a company and you could break it down further, you know, where does it sit in the P&L and how much visibility is there there for that or that team? It really depends on the company and how they're organized and lots of historical context there that we would, would ne- we would never be able to scratch the surface on. But um, if you're wondering about, you know, is, is this unusual for e-commerce or retail media to be sitting in this part of the organization, then... I guess this kind of shows there's there's no real right or wrong place to put it. What everyone sort of agreed on is communication is key. Getting people on board is, you know, it's everyone's job. You need to be an advocate. You need to be an evangelist for this. There are lots of, this is a new area and not everyone in your company is going to understand the significance of what, what you might be seeing every day working within retail media. So that was one commonality across everyone is really taking the lead on being an educator and evangelist within your company around what does retail media do? You know, it's not just driving sales in one particular channel and certainly leveraging all of the research and best practices that are that are coming out around retail media to do that internal education. Another big sort of theme and takeaway for me was around KPIs and metrics. And this was a question that I asked every one of these interviewees was, what are your main KPIs that you're tracking? And again, one one answer I was really pleased to hear, and it's not really that surprising because I chose all, all of these people to come on the show because I knew that they were thinking about e-commerce and retail media in a really sophisticated and mature way. But Really, the answer is it never can be just ROAS. It can never just be about how profitable a campaign is is performing. Even if profitability is your ultimate scorecard metric and that is what's most important to the company, there is nothing wrong with that. But even from the brands who had a very specific profitability metric such as uh, contribution margin effect effect of advertising on the contribution margin there was still an understanding that there's a lot of factors driving that and you can't just be looking at ROAS for example in isolation so one of the really interesting responses I got to this question about KPIs and what to track came from Paolo Baccarin from Toms of Maine and he said that the top metric that he tracks is consumption And he breaks it down further into two different levels from that. So the second level to drill down from consumption is three KPIs that make up that number. 
which is glance views or traffic, ASP, average selling price, and conversion rate. So he's very clear on what makes up consumption and those those three things are going to be much easier to measure than just a top-level consumption number. And then he breaks down those three KPIs even further into third-level triggers. So share of voice, ad clicks, and ad sales being sort of key triggers of those three KPIs. So I thought that this was a really interesting response because maybe Paolo's top level priority of consumption is not necessarily what your brand has, but the way he's thinking about it, he's thinking about what drives consumption. And then on a third tier level, what's driving those factors? And those that once you get down to that third level, those are the factors that you can actually really influence day to day with your ad campaigns, with your overall e-commerce um, approach. So I thought that, that was a really great takeaway, not just to think about that top level KPI, but what's driving that and then what's driving driving the second level as well. Another theme that I heard over and over again from these interviews and in a lot of conversations with brands and practitioners alike is ROAS is not is moving beyond ROAS. And if you've never heard me say this before, you haven't been listening long enough because I bring it up all the time. So on more than one occasion, uh, I, I got into robust discussion with guests about moving beyond ROAS and it's not just what you should be looking at. So a couple of examples here, Katie Bushek who is from Totes Isotona uh, National Sales. One thing that she believes is it's not all about ROAS. At certain times, you're wanting to drive awareness and you also might be looking to make a defensive play. So there's so many other factors, KPIs to factor in there. So something that they've done recently at Totes is to restructure into a three-pillar strategy. And those three pillars are the Amazon business, their own .com sites for the various brands that they own, like Acorn, Totes, and Isotona, and what they also call bricks and clicks, which would be the retailers.com websites. And having that three-pillar strategy has allowed them to look at all of e-commerce and how the decisions that they make in one channel may impact another. So not looking at each channel in isolation and you know, how is our performance media to our D2C sites performing in isolation? What does that ROAS look like? It's looking at what kind of sales performance might be happening across all of those channels when you're investing in performance media in, in one of them. So obviously that is a lot easier said than done when each of those channels and even, you know, performance media like Facebook and Google are certainly walled gardens from a data perspective, but certainly with with innovations like AMC, we're able to do a lot more of that. Um, and it is also just an organizational change in, in mindset to change from this very channel-centric view of the world to understanding that um, the shopper journey has fragmented and we're all researching and transacting in different places than we may have in the past. So that initial hurdle of just understanding that and getting the organization on board with that concept, now we're just left with the sticky problem of, okay, how do we actually measure cross-channel 
uh, the cross-channel journey. Also on this theme of Beyond ROAS, some interesting points from Christina Krantz-Kissel from Petmate. She shared a best practice from her company of uh, around test and learn. And that was one of the things that she thinks that Petmate does exceptionally well is is really a, having a really robust test and learn strategy and investing you know, five, 10 percent of your ad budget into test and learn activities and having very specific sort of parameters around what success looks like so you can cut bait on those experiments or move forward. But one other thing that she mentioned that I thought was a really good point and and something that we we need to do a little bit more of is looking for other metrics that the test delivers beyond what you might have expected. So if you're running a test and you're hoping to um, get a really great return on ad spend out of it, but instead you got a really average ROAS, but really good impressions. Well, that is really good data to put in your back pocket. If you're increasing brand awareness, but not necessarily reaching your ROI goal, you can take that back to the table and say, we didn't hit our goals with this experiment according to what our objective was, but our impressions are skyrocketing. So how else could that be impacting the business or how else could we be using this test uh, in areas where we do want to be increasing impressions? So not just having a few benchmarks, but analyzing what else is working or not in the campaign. So you can take that back to your core learnings as well. And then finally, just to close out another theme was how different brands are thinking about which retail media networks to expand to. Obviously, with every retail media network that you add, there is a cost associated with that. That would be either an internal cost of managing that retail media platform, you know, putting, getting someone's hands on keyboards internally to do that, or engaging an agency and or leveraging additional software solutions to do that. So there is a real cost of this. It's going to cost more than just the ad budget that you're putting in here. There is a time cost associated as well. So Matt Krieger from East Point Sports had a good take on this. He was he, he said that he's recently changed his mind about this. He was he said I was all about ad ad ad, give brands more control over their ad spend, but now he's not so sure it's sustainable that there's a threshold with ROI versus those retailers who are just asking for um, trade dollars because the other big retailers are doing it, but they don't necessarily have the justification to do so. So meaning that those retail media networks don't have the requisite traffic, metrics, connections, portals, agility, et cetera, to actually have a retail media network worth investing in. So his point there is you must be very selective about which you, which ones you expand to. They need to meet all of your criteria there. Paolo Picaran from Toms of Maine actually cited some of our research at Bobsled called In It to Win It, uh, which we'll link up to in the show notes, which he said added a lot of color to the notion that bigger budgets don't necessarily drive better performance and that it's more important to be strategic with your campaign setup and execution than to necessarily just spend more. So I thought that that was a really great point because within that report, what was clear is some of these brands who are doing really well on on Amazon specifically, they are spending, they're spending elsewhere. They are big 
legacy brands that are spending on brand marketing as well. And so just looking in isolation, channel by channel, you're not necessarily going to find all the answers there. And then finally, a really interesting take from Ingrid Milman Cordy from Nestle Health Science. She is of the opinion that at a certain point, you need to start splitting these retailers out if they start making up too much of your retail media spend. Um, so for example, Amazon, that's probably going to be the biggest one for most brands. If it's starting to take up more than 20 or 25% of your total business, you need to split it out or or 40% of your retail media investment, split it out. So you can get, actually start seeing how other channels are performing because otherwise all these, these additional channels that you're adding in there are just going to get lost when you compare them to the Amazon spend or Amazon revenue. So don't let Amazon wash out all of the contribution that other channels are making. So that's it. Those are some of my takeaways from the last five episodes. I really encourage you to go back and listen to each one of those. Definitely some great nuggets in each of those that you can take back think about, you know, if, if that's going to be relevant to your company, just good to know how are other people doing it, what's working for them. Um, this is a this is a big new world that we're a part of and learning from others can be super helpful. Thanks for tuning in and I'll catch you next week. <laughs>